Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. My little chickadee, the love behind our words and twitters, by Darlene Blazing, and this is from Green Prince, Autumn 2022 edition. Birds have always fascinated me. I keep a bird feeder or two or three and enjoy seeing who shows up for a meal. The showy cardinals, goldfinches, and blue jays are always a treat, and I listen for mockingbirds, rare in this area but not unknown. Tiny hummingbirds sometimes let me get close enough for a photo, but all the other birds fly off when I walk near the feeders. So I was very surprised when I was trimming dead branches from a pine and I was approached by a chickadee. He looked right at me as he chattered away, then moved closer, about two feet from my face. I fell in love. What a sweet bird you are, I said. What a pretty bird. Actually, his breast feathers were askew, and he was so tiny, I was certain he was a fledgling from a nearby nest. I even thought... He might be mentally challenged, because what bird in his right mind would approach a big, scary human? I was the lady who put the seed in the feeders, though, and the urgency of his chatter made me think he wanted to tell me something important. Maybe he wasn't happy with the selection. I searched online and discovered that chickadees like sunflowers. So I purchased a bag of hulled sunflower hearts and a special little feeder just for him. I knew the high oil content of the seeds would fatten him up in preparation for winter. That year, a large flock of sparrows made our yard their home. I enjoyed their cheerful songs every morning, but there were about a hundred of them and they ate a lot. The chickadee rushed in for its meal when I filled the feeder, and all the other birds fled. So I went there more often, and chatted with him each time. As the year progressed, my little chickadee grew. I felt fortunate he considered me a friend. He didn't just visit at feeding times, either. If he saw me in the yard or on the back deck, he sometimes perched near me and conversed in his language. I'd respond in mine. One evening, while my husband and I dined on our deck, he drew close and peered at what we were eating. I was thankful it wasn't chicken. One day, I heard a pretty new bird song in the yard. It was simple but beautiful. Just two notes, one high, one low. I searched the branches for this new, sweet-voiced bird, but saw none at first. Suddenly, my chickadee landed on a branch in front of me and sang the two-note song. Oh, it's you, I said. 
I imitated the whistle, though my version lacked the beauty of the chickadees. I practiced a bit more while he looked on. Since then, I use the whistle whenever I load the feeders. Of course, we don't understand each other's language, but I like to believe the love behind the words and Twitters is the real language we share. Come autumn, I was confident my little friend had a good chance of surviving the winter ahead. Chickadees do not migrate. This has always amazed me, considering their small size. Instead, they cache their winter food in hundreds of places, especially the rough bark of trees. I put suet feeders out, though, and kept watch over him through the cold months of our Michigan winter. Come spring, I knew we were both happy to feel the sun's warmth and see the snow melt. He was plumper and more confident than the little fledgling I'd met a year before, and it was not long before he found a mate. She came to the feeder one day with another bird, but the other bird flew on, and she stayed. She was tiny, a fledgling with slightly darker breast feathers, which were askew, like his were when we first met. She was shy at first, hanging back when he came near me, but she gradually learned I was not a threat. I wondered if they would build a nest their first year together and hatch a brood of chicks. I'll never know, because our happy little Eden was soon disrupted by a flock of grackles intent on taking over the yard and driving everything else out, including my spouse and me. Squawking, they filled the trees and took over nests already filled with young robins. The yard was soon littered with dead baby birds. Grackles had visited our yard before, but never in such numbers. I didn't realize they could be so evil. The robins fled and the chickadees relocated to a group of pines by the vegetable garden out back. One of the male grackles actually chased me. My spouse and I decided they had to go. It was easy to determine where the grackles' stolen nests were located as they squawked continuously. We quickly knocked as many of them out of our trees as we could reach. None of the nests contained eggs yet. The grackles relocated you guessed it, to the group of pines by the vegetable garden. Our chickadees were forced to move again. Soon, I heard a loud exchange between the chickadees coming from our neighbor's yard. It was so intense, I was afraid they were being attacked, so I hurried to investigate. When I arrived, I found Mr. Chickadee staring calmly down at me from a branch while Mrs. Chickadee jumped from one side of him to the other, the perfect picture of hopping mad. I left them after checking the area for predators and concluded she was angry about relocating again. They soon discovered it was safe to return to our yard, 
but Mrs. Chickadee got her hackles up one day when I walked within inches of her at the feeder. She didn't budge from her perch, but scolded me for startling her. I made my apologies and retreated, vowing never to do that again. At least she had lost her initial shyness of me. Indeed, in later weeks, she often flew in ahead of her mate when I whistled. The chickadees usually sound very happy, especially when we meet after not seeing each other for a few days. Recently, though, they sat so quietly as I spoke to them that I felt certain something was wrong. Looking over my shoulder, I thought I knew what troubled them. The farmer who manages our orchard had just removed all his apple trees in preparation for planting new ones next spring. I wondered how much of the chickadees' stored food was headed for the burn pile. They don't need to worry, though. I will continue to feed them through the winter, and they must have several pounds of seed pressed into the craggy bark of our old maple tree, as well as the pines. This will be Mrs. Chickadee's first winter, but she has her mate to help her through it. I still wonder how such small birds are able to survive our cold winters, and I sometimes lie awake at night thinking about ways to make the cold weather easier for them. On one such night, it occurred to me that, in a way, I'm God's little chickadee. I started talking to him when I was a young child. As I care for the little birds, I know he cares for me. I've felt his presence and love throughout my life, and I know the chickadees feel mine. Plants Named in Honor of Queen Elizabeth II by Molly Blair and this is from GardensIllustrated.com During the 70-year reign of Queen Elizabeth II, there have been many milestones. Growers around the UK and the world have often honored the Queen by naming new varieties of plants for her. Here we have gathered together a few of the plants that have been named in honor of Queen Elizabeth II. Clematis Montana Elizabeth. Clematis Montana, variety Rubens Elizabeth, was bred by Jackmans in the 1950s and appears to be one of the first plants named for Queen Elizabeth II. It is a strong climber with pale pink flowers and a delicate scent and RH Award of Garden Merit. You can buy Elizabeth at many garden centers and online retailers. Rosa, Queen Elizabeth. Rosa Queen Elizabeth is a Floribunda type bush rose. It was bred by Lamerts and introduced in 1954, two years after Queen Elizabeth II ascended the throne. It has large clear pink blooms with a light fragrance and grows into a large shrub. The plant can be bought container-grown or as bare-root specimens in the autumn. 
Camellia Japonica, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Camellia Japonica, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, is an evergreen shrub that has dark green, ovate, glossy leaves. It bears flowers in spring that are salmon to rose pink and have a loose peony form to them. Rhododendron Queen Elizabeth II Rhododendron Queen Elizabeth II was bred by Crown Estate Commissioners in the UK. It is a bushy, large evergreen shrub which bears pale yellow trumpet-shaped flowers from mid to late spring. Narcissus Diamond Jubilee Narcissus Diamond Jubilee was launched in 2012 in honor of Queen Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee, marking 60 years on the throne. It is a large cupped daffodil with white petals and an orange center. Rosa the Queen's Jubilee Rosa the Queen's Jubilee was also launched to celebrate the Diamond Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II in 2012. Bred by Peter Beals, it is a repeat flowering shrub rose. It produces nicely scented double blooms, which have a soft peach flush to them. It can be bought container grown or as bare root plants in autumn. Rosa, Queen Elizabeth II. Bred by Harkness Roses and launched in 2022, Rosa, Queen Elizabeth II, was created to commemorate Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee. It was officially selected by Queen Elizabeth II. It is a hybrid tea rose with classic shaped flowers containing elements of soft pink, light amber, gold, and cream. Pea in your garden. Urine is the number one free fertilizer by John Hershey. Caution, this article contains puns. Yes, dear reader, you're in for it. And this is from Green Prince, Autumn 2022 edition. Back when I had a real job, my co-workers loved it when I brought veggies from my garden to share. At least they said they loved it. Unless you think they were just being polite in thanking me for all that free zucchini? Surely not. But one day when describing the fertile soil that produced this bounty, I happened to mention to a colleague that I pee in my compost pile. Executing a perfect spit take with my homegrown radish, she announced that she would no longer be eating any produce from my garden. She was just kidding, I think. But the joke works because it highlights our society's aversion to urine and our ill-conceived desire to live in a sterile environment. We are raised to fear wee-wee, a feeling reinforced by our shared traumatic experiences. From the smell of city alleys to the sight of Kevin Costner drinking his own in the movie Waterworld, we are conditioned to be repulsed by pee. In perhaps the ridiculous apotheosis of this trend, 
A few years back, some stoned skateboarder in Oregon was caught nicturating into a lake that supplied drinking water to a nearby town. In response, spooked local authorities drained the whole reservoir, wasting millions of gallons of fresh water. Not to mention trace amounts of healthful, trendy CBD. Gardeners, our society's panic about pee has gone too far. It's time to fight back. Our chant, free the wee. Urine is a precious bodily fluid. It's full of nitrogen and also contains phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrients in the forms most easily absorbed by plants. Yet we flush it away, turning it into a pollutant that causes algae blooms in our rivers and lakes. Sending it to the garden instead would reduce this burden and feed our plants. Wendell Berry said that when industrial farms struggle to dispose of animal waste, rather than using it to improve soil, and then drench their crops with chemical fertilizers, they are turning one elegant solution into two big problems. We have the power to change the world, meeting this challenge one garden at a time. Let's stop wasting our waste. We have access to a steady stream of free organic fertilizers, but we've just been pissing it away. That's money down the drain. Tinkle irrigation makes even more sense in an arid climate like Colorado where I live. We can, as they say, make water. We should all pee in our gardens and not just in the compost pile although it's a great accelerator. I use it on fruit trees and vegetables, especially the peas and leeks, naturally. And of course I pee in the asparagus patch. And that feels right, because no vegetable is more closely associated with urine. When we eat asparagus, we're strongly reminded of it the next time we visit the loo. So payback is rich in nitrogen. Relieving ourselves in the garden is fun, too. Perhaps we have a primal urge to mark our territory. Does a bear pee in the woods? Yes, and no soil is healthier than the forest floor. We love the power to write our names in the snow or put out campfires. Now we can have the same feeling in the garden. I realize some of this applies specifically to those of us with built-in spray nozzles. But with a bit of creativity or additional equipment, I'm sure the rest of you can enter the pissing contest too. Everybody wins, and the prize is a bountiful harvest. I suppose this predilection makes me a Europhile, but not in a creepy way. My fetish is limited to the garden, I swear. There are no dossiers about me. And I'm a Europhile, too. They're way ahead of us in urine recycling in places like Holland and Scandinavia. 
In Amsterdam, they collect pee from urinals in a public square to water the city's green roofs. Nowadays, when people enjoy something, someone will come along and try to monetize it. I'm sure when this idea catches on, the garden industrial complex will swoop in to profit from it. Soon we'll see $12 bottles of pasteurized piddle in the garden shops with clever names like You're in Luck or Gee Whiz or NPK. And I shiver to think of the slogans. Golden showers bring May flowers? You. These gross marketing efforts are sure to fail. There are some things I will just not buy on Craigslist. And the theory of trickle-down agronomics appeals to our frugality as gardeners. As with compost, we prefer to make our own. Costly synthetic fertilizers and prepackaged pea are a piss-poor substitute for the real thing. We're holding a free source of quality organic fertilizer right in the palm of our hand. Why spend dollars when you can spend a penny? That's British slang, so it's a joke for the Europhiles among the Europhiles. Of course, it pays to be discreet. Don't be a human rainbird out there. We wouldn't want a routine fertilizer application to lead to indecent exposure charges. I keep an old glass pitcher behind the chicken coop that I can fill furtively and carry out to the lucky plant. I don't think my neighbors are privy to my secret. They probably just wonder why I'm pouring all this apple juice on my crops. So let's all answer nature's call. Go in the garden and wet the beds. My Own Mowing Mishap by Betsy Williams. And this is from Green Prince. Autumn 2022 edition. I had to laugh at Kathy Cherenkirk's broken trowel story, I Ain't Gonna Mow No More, in the spring 2022 issue. My own mowing experience was all too similar. Last year, I moved with great sadness to Minnesota from West Montana. The one plus to our relocation was that my husband gave me my own riding lawnmower to cut our new large yard. One day, while he was busy elsewhere, I decided there was no way I would ask him for instruction on how to operate the mower. So I got it started, went out, and cut away. I'd done half the yard, a big area, when I saw my husband standing at the house watching me. Feeling very smug, I drove it up to him put the parking brake on and smiled, fully expecting to hear, wow, good job. What did he say instead? You might want to go back over the grass with the blade down. 
Oops. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.